Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. A lot of fun as we finally have some real lines, like betting lines, like the the projections or at least the intuition of the odds makers uh, baked into some of the first lines available. Uh, We are going to scroll down some of our favorites. We've got some we want to turn your attention to, some we want to discuss. What does it say about the teams involved and how should we change our expectations? And and is there anything you just want to go ahead and jump on? Good good numbers. I mean, Bud Elliott's always out here telling you to get the good numbers uh, before they move. So we'll uh, we'll break down uh, a bunch of those game of the year odds here in just a little bit. First, a few headlines, the first of which has generated a lot of conversation throughout, um, you know, all of the football world. The headline is that Jaden Blue, uh, one of the top ranked running backs in the 2022 class, has decided after uh, discussions with his family that he's going to opt out of his senior high school season set to be a senior this fall He is saying he's going to uh, opt out in order to prepare for college. He is committed to play for Texas. And as a, uh, as a Houston native, um, coming from the Lone Star State, you know, that's just, it's going to be something that uh, he's just decided going to get everything together. You know, we're going to try to, you know, enroll at Texas as soon as possible. I believe that's at least the, uh, what I've gotten from from some of this is that we should probably expect to see him on campus in, in January maybe, but not playing uh, in that fall season, not because of injury, not because of any eligibility issues, at least that we know right now. This is a, this is a little bit new. Now, does it connect to uh, players opting out of, you know, to get ready for the NFL draft, opting out of a bowl game, you know, shutting things down for the season? We obviously saw that in COVID-19, but we've also seen it over the years with, you know, a little injury. Yeah, we're going to shut down, get ready for the draft. You know, bowl game, opt out, get ready for the draft. So a high schooler opting out of a senior high school season to get ready to play for the Longhorns from the, um, I, there's the, the Jaden Blues position. There's the Texas Longhorns. Like, if you're Steve Sarkeesian, what do you think about it? I don't know. There's a lot of ways to, to jump into this, and I'm, I'm curious to see uh, how y'all are, are feeling about uh, what seems to be a, a little bit of a, a novel. Again, I think it's novel because it's not by injury. It's not by eligibility, right? Like, this is a personal decision uh, to, to just shut it down and not play a senior year of high school. How are y'all feeling about it? I hate it. I hate it. I'll go. I'll jump out there. I can't stand this. This to me is everything that's wrong with our society. And you should see this trend taking place over time when 
we've seen players opt out of bowl games, right? Meaningless bowl games. And we see players opt out of season, but those are kind of interesting because it's, well, there's a millions of dollars at stake and you're going to, why would you play in a meaningless bowl game? Uh, or, you know, last year was COVID. So he kind of understood. So it was really hard to criticize a Jamar chase, like what's got left to prove. And he's, you know, could get COVID and we didn't really know what could happen. So it was hard to criticize it, but yet in all of it, there has been this massive push, and I, I would say it probably got the loudest with Leonard Fournette, was why would he even play college anymore? Why would he even play? Uh, you know, he's going to be a millionaire, so he should just skip and just start going there. And I think we will see more players take that route. But I've always kind of been worried that we would see this mindset creep into the lower levels. Transferring. We see players transfer in college. Guess where else they transfer? High school. They hop from high school to high school. And now you've got a player – who has seen this mentality creep in and he's thinking, why would I play high school? I don't, I don't need to do anything more. I don't need to accomplish anything more. I've got my goal. I'm going to go play at Texas. I'm just going to bounce on my teammates and the team that I started. And I would say it would come with significant word of caution to Steve Sarkeesian by saying, what if he balls out his freshman year? What do you think he's going to do? He's going to bounce for the NFL and he might wait out two years because everybody would say, why does he not getting paid? Just wait to go to the NFL. And to me, I just keep going back to the question. Does anybody actually want to play the sport they proclaim to love? Like, is it all about the end game? Is it all about the scholarship? Is it all about the money? What happened to playing because you love to play the game? And I, it's just, it's beyond me how, this is becoming so acceptable in our society. And I think it's dangerous. And I think it's, I don't like a precedent that's being set and that I don't think he's going to be the last one to do it. I, I think the, the concern over this is, is pretty overblown guys. Um, first of all, you got to realize his high school already got damn near 500 carries out of Jaden blues legs as a sophomore and junior. That's a huge workload. All right. You want Jaden Blue? You got about a whole high school career's worth of them in two years. That that's a ton of carries, and you can tell me, hey, like he's a five star type back. He run, you know, he's going to run out of bounds. Like, like he's not getting getting crushed by his other high schoolers. To me, this is just like a pitcher in baseball. If you've proven what you can do, if you go out there and you throw ninety seven in the summer showcase circuit, right? You, you go to perfect game or, or whatever, and you're popping 96, 97 on the gun as like a lefty. Your dad is probably telling your, your high school baseball coach, hey, man, he'll throw 30 innings this year. That's it, right? We're, we're going to throw just enough to show he's healthy, and, and, and that's all. You know there's a number of bullets in that arm. You know with specifically with the running back position, there are a limited number of, of bullets in those legs. And everyone's like, oh, this is going to become a, a huge epidemic of, of guys doing this. Not really. Not to me. I don't, I don't see hardly any kids – who are that proven at that level following their junior year in high school. He's a very select special player who has been you know, run like crazy by his high school team. I mean, guys, almost 500 carries in two years. That's, that's a ton of, of work on those legs. I, I don't think this is going to become a real commonplace thing. And, you know, Danny asks, is it all about the money? I don't know if it's all about the money, but for a lot of these kids, you know, who, who don't come from privileged backgrounds, like their earning capability far exceeds the earning capability of a lot of their other family members. Like this is a chance for them to level up, not just themselves, but you know, a lot of their families. And so I, I don't think it's that bad of a decision in this specific case for this specific position, given his, his talent, how much he's proven 
and the workload they've put on. I don't like it either. Mm. That said, <laughs> get him, Tom. Come on, Danny. No, see, hold on. That said, I'm not. I'm not worried about it becoming a huge thing. I'm fine with the kid doing it. Like I get it, but I don't like it. I don't like player. I, you don't get better by not playing. Put it that way. Like if you want to be a great football player, the best way to do that is not, I'm going to sit out and rest my legs. It's not, if I want to be the best pitcher, it's not, eh, I'm not going to throw and rest because I've only got so many bullets in my arm. Because, well, we get into a whole talk of, is it the amount of pitches you're throwing or is it the pitches you're throwing that lead to your arm problems? Anyways, but so I don't like it. I do think that he won't be the last. I don't think it's going to become an epidemic, but I won't be surprised at all if we start seeing more players doing this. And frankly, if I'm a coach and I've got a kid committed to me and he opts out, like Danny said, that's kind of like, ah, oh, that's that's a little bit of a red flag in the back of my mind. It's like, it's not like I'm not going to take him because he's still a great talent and I want him on my team. He's going to help my team. But and especially now, maybe in the transfer portal age, I'm not really counting on having anybody for more than a year, especially if they're highly rated. If they don't play right away, they're probably going soon as it is. But it's in the back of my mind. It's like, well, crap, is he going to do this now? Like if, if I give him the ball too much as a freshman and he plays well, or if I give him the ball too much as a sophomore and he plays well, am I going to lose him for his junior season? Is he going to pull the same thing? Like I'm opting out of waiting for the NFL. And so for a coaching, yeah, it's a red flag. Just philosophically, don't like it. Does everybody you know I mean? on your roster have to love football? Do you think that no, in order to be successful it helps. At, the yes, co- at the college it helps. level? You want, that's, that's what every coach is trying to figure out. Who actually that's, loves That's the game. culture. That's what we talk about when we talk about the culture of a program. Like, yeah. You can have players on your team who aren't, oh my God, everything my whole entire life. It's football, football, football. No, but man, if... If you've got people, but a lot of players on your team who are just playing to play to like, you know, an end justifies a means type of situation, then it's when it's not as good as having a bunch of guys who are 100% dedicated to the cause. I'll leave it at that. The uh, So there's actions and consequences, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is America. Let, let, let the kid have freedom of choice. Let's see what the consequences are. If you're a total freaking stud, the consequences will be zero. We just saw this mm-hmm. in the NFL draft. If you are really, really good, and you opt out of your senior season, the NFL doesn't give a damn. If you're not as proven as you think you are and you opt out, the NFL might actually care a little bit. We, we, we saw this with some guys in the draft. Jamar Chase, pretty much proven. Top five pick. Other dudes who opted out, not as proven. Some of them actually went undrafted. So let, let's see. And just like the transfer portal, right? Oh, man, these kids are all going to jump in the portal. There's a lot of these kids in portal purgatory who are finding out they ain't quite as good as they think they are. And they're going to have to drop down to FCS or in some cases D2 because there ain't scholarships for them. Here, here's another aspect of this to look at, too, that I, that I wonder about because I, I don't even really wonder. I think I know the answer. But again, I don't, I don't if he wants to do it, that's fine. I don't do it. It's cool. Do what you think is best for you. But is he doing this if he's not already committed to Texas? No. And I don't. Okay. And, and this is so it was weird that, to me that, that he also like from his statement. Football is a brutal sport, and the wear and tear associated with the running back position is undeniable. That's a that's a, a strong statement on the sport of football from an eighteen or a seventeen year old going into his senior year of high school. This to me is getting bad advice. This is listening to a lot of people because it is, and and people like Bud apparently who are out here saying, "Oh, you got to keep track of your carries, and the running back shelf life is only this." be the best version of yourself that you can be and worry about the rest later. Like, and to me, like, what about the first, because 
I think we've totally lost the value of team in team sports. Like it's one thing if you're a tennis player or a golfer and you just go out there and it's you against everybody else. But when you're on a team, I was always taught on every team I've ever been on that the team is more important than your individual. And yet everything we're hearing in our society is you got to take care of you. You got to get yours. You have to get your scholarship. You have to get your draft pick solidified. You have to get your money. And that goes against everything in team sports. So there's this conflicting messaging that's going on. For the carries, 500 carries in two years, bud. Is that right? Almost 500? Almost, yeah. It's close. What a workload. (laughs) You know what Derrick Henry says to that workload? (laughs) Have you seen his high school stats? In his senior year alone, he had (laughs) 462 carries. One year, 462 carries. That adds up with his freshman, sophomore, and junior year, of which he had 313, 313, and 309, to a grand total of 1,397 carries in high school. I think he's doing okay. I mean, I, I, I don't think we should be... High school's a different level. Even if you're yeah. in Texas, I mean, Derek Henry's in Florida. I mean, it's some of the best football in the country. He was at Uli, but yeah, which is but like running still, over I just, I mean, it's, it's what it looks like on the highlight. It does yeah, look oh, like no, he's it's, playing. It's, it's bad, bad. <laughs> right. yeah, no, I, I get what you're going because I agree with you, Danny. Like the whole, there are only so many carries in your legs as a running back. I buy that completely at the upper tier college level and in the NFL because that's where the pounding takes place. That's where the physical grind takes place. It ain't happening when you're 16 in high school football. I don't care about that as for a 16-year-old playing against high schoolers, even if it's in Texas or Florida or, you know, Ohio, California, wherever the top-tier high school football is. I don't I don't buy that argument for a minute about the wear and tear on the 17-year-old body running through 215-pound kids. You, I'll, I know we, we don't want to spend a whole podcast on this, although I could. One of the comments, because I was looking at Jaden Blue's, uh, you know, announcement that he made on Twitter. And I, I don't like the fact that he even references the NFL. Like, I honestly, if he would have said, I want to make sure I get my degree, I want to make sure I'm prepared academically, I'd probably be way more accepting of this. He right? did. He said, like, um, he did. I want to focus on my the- academics and training slash rehab. It was a blurb in there. It was kind of like, <laughs> because he had to. So it is in there, but definitely wasn't the priority. It was more about achieving your dream and the grind of the running back. Uh, and it's like he had done the statistical analysis on it that he got from Bud. But <laughs> so you, if you want to hear a lack of awareness and just a clueless mindset, because, and I, uh, first of all, let me say this. I don't like anybody weighing in on Jaden Blue's Twitter because there are a lot of fans that are ripping him, you know, and they're probably not Texas fans. But then you see Texas fans like applauding him, you know, and telling him. So here's this one from a Twitter responder on his announcement I applaud the decision. Texas's success will depend on them getting more NFL players, not four or five stars, but players who aspire to play at the highest level and are willing to put in the work to do so. That's what makes programs like Bama great. Now, mind you, this is a Texas program which has consistently had four or five stars, but they're entitled and they don't do the work that it takes. Meanwhile, the reason Nick Saban is killing it is because he gets guys, players to buy into the team accomplishments above your own. That's like my whole point. Like to be a good teammate, You've got to put in the work and you've got to sacrifice your own personal goals over the team. But what Nick Saban points out to his players, and it's very true, if we accomplish our team goals, all your individual goals will be attainable. Mm. Any, any other uh, 
any other lasting thoughts? Bud, do you think we we do see uh, this summer a few other players decide to shut it down? Because I also think that there's not going to be, to your point earlier, there's not going to be a lot of players who have this much leverage. There's just not going to, like, they don't have uh, enough in hand where I think you, you're you going to feel comfortable just shutting down for your senior season because of, you know, everything that can still happen before the early signing period. Is this is this going to be the the first of uh, of many, first of a few? How, how do you see it? I think it's probably the first of, of a very select few. You know, like like last year, uh, Travion Henderson, the, the kid going to Ohio State, um, you know, he, he could have easily – in fact, I, I think he would have started for Ohio State as a 17-year-old last year. I think he's going to be a total stud. You know, but for the most part, there's just not guys at that level who are already, you know, that that proven. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I don't think this is going to become a, a, a big-time thing. I really I hope not. I do think there's a solution. Well, I don't know if it's a realistic solution – but like, I wish there was an opportunity. We see it happen in basketball where guys reclass. They skip grades to get to where they want to go faster. Like if he said, hey, my goal is to get to the NFL. Let me just get to Texas and start. Even if you there was some sort of gray shirt or some sort of program where you were with the program and getting ready and accomplishing a goal with a new team, I'd be more acceptable of that. But just sitting out a season, to Tom's point, it's not helping you become a better player. Tony Grimes did it last year. Mm-hmm. He was ready to graduate. Yeah. Um, before his senior season even started. So when Virginia canceled high school football, he was like, okay, let's reclassify and just go to Chapel Hill right now. Yeah, yeah well, Virginia canceled football. Right, 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 right. Yes, right. yeah, 100%. And all right, one last thing. Danny, I, I'm, I'm going to dare myself to say this. Dangerous to society. <laughs> Explain dangerous to society. It is. The mindset <laughs> that is creeping in. Is we need more team, team builders. Okay. Is yes. We, we need, need more team. We need to put others before yourself. We need other thinking philosophies to creep in. From a from a but, but character building I, standpoint, society, I agree. I feel yeah. pretty safe on this. It is not. In, it's not going in a great direction, <laughs> as this attitude has kind of crept in over the last decade or twenty years. I think we could use a little bit more unselfishness in our society. But we celebrate so many selfish people. <laughs> you know, I mean, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whole, whole other podcast. Another uh, another bit of potentially like huge uh, player news uh, to keep an eye on as, um, you know, hat tip to Dogs247, Rusty Mansell, uh, guest on this podcast, one of the best in the business. Uh, it's looking like, you know, former Clemson defensive back Darion Kendrick, remember he was arrested in March on gun and drug charges in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Uh, he was dismissed from the Clemson program. Depending on how things go on the legal side, he might be finding his way onto a roster, um, Bud. What's the what? What sort of the ongoing uh, around this? And and do you think that he does end up playing for Georgia in the fall? Just sort of reading the tea leaves on it. So what? What uh, Rusty reported this morning on, on Dogs Two Four Seven was that if if the charges get reduced or dropped, he he could definitely see Kendrick uh, playing for Georgia this year, and that, that would be a pretty big deal for the Dogs if, if he's able to get on there. I mean, the, the charges, like you said. You know, gun and drugs. It was, I believe, a little bit of weed that probably doesn't get you arrested in a lot of states. But and, South Carolina. Uh, and I think he was, if you read the rest report, I think it was like he was sleeping and had a pistol in his lap or something like that. It, it was not, uh, he wasn't like brandishing it at people. So, you know, I, I'm not a criminal defense attorney, but it does seem like that's potentially something that could get kicked down or, or dropped. So uh, if he's able to play, that's a big deal because they lost Tyreek Stevenson to Miami. Mm-hmm. 
And we were talking about how that Georgia defense looks really solid up front, but on the back end, uh, their you know depth, experience, all those things are questioned. And Darion Kendrick, when Ryan Wilson put out his way too early mock draft, guess what? Darion Kendrick was a first rounder. I mean, this is a, a pro talent. And if he's going to be able, I thought he was interesting because Clemson doesn't see a lot of players get dismissed or, you know, leave the program. And so that was a little bit of an eyebrow raiser, but what a, a great opportunity. I think they knew that, he was one of the risks they were taking though. Like that staff only takes a certain number of character risks. And, and so he knew, they knew from recruiting. They knew from the jump from what, what my guys told me. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, but other guys for them that they've taken who are character risks have worked out and they take very few of them. I was going to, I was trying to clutch the kids are choir boys. Yeah. I was, I was trying to come up with a, um, a, a correct way, a correct way to say Georgia is not afraid of the character risks. <laughs> it's just no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, no, we'll we'll, we'll get you, we'll, we'll get you um, all cleaned up. You know what, Chip? Some people would say that skipping out on your senior year of high school football is a character risk. Yeah, I. That's why I wanted to ask the Sark side of it because if you see it happen, you're like, oh, okay, good to know. But um, you know, there's no no guarantee especially at the running back position that you're going to be able to come in and, and be a diva and have it work out uh, quite as well i don't i'm not we'll see what happens with Jaden blue coming up on the other side we have betting lines betting lines that have moved for some of the biggest games of the year we're going to break them down next Some of these and these are uh available let's see we've we were able to pull them um fanduel DraftKings, uh, a few other offsite uh, spots, um, online books where you might be able to go and find some of these betting lines. But the the thing that's really interesting, I think, uh, for us and for our purposes here is going to be looking at looking at them within the context of uh, how they have moved and what they tell us about uh, each particular team involved. So I've got uh, I've got a couple that I, I had highlighted, and I, I know that um, you know we've all got this uh, this document to be able to to reference along the way. Um, so what's uh, let's let's kick it around from uh, from from game to game. So what's uh, What's one that stands out to you, Tom? Oh, so we're not t- starting with Penn State being a 21 and a half point favorite over Ball State. Oh, is that, is, is that for our house State? divided? No, that, yeah, yeah, for our house divided. Uh, no, Ball State already? all day. Uh, DraftKings has odds out for a, a lot of games. Oh, wow. I, I missed that. It must be okay. Uh, but uh, I think the one that kind of stood out to me, God, it's. <laughs> I don't want to bring this up because I feel like I've probably got Iowa State moved from a four and a half point favorite to a five and a half point favorite over Iowa. And that is an interesting line to me simply because, A, those games are always like seeming like lately they've been pretty close. And also like they didn't play last year. And I think maybe last year it would have happened. But Matt Campbell is yet to beat Iowa. And so to see Iowa State not only favored by four and a half from the jump, but to see it increase to five and a half, I'm very inclined to take Iowa right now. I, I I'm a hundred percent with that. Let's. I mean, this is obviously piling on. Let's continue to give the fire to those Iowa State fans who believe that the Cover <laughs> Three I podcast is careful. out to get them. <laughs> I mean, it's we're even getting the the comments and the feedback. They're like, you know what, it it makes us better. 
Oh, you doubt, yeah, you doubting us makes us even stronger. We like it. We can't wait to prove you wrong. Okay. Iowa State football powered by cover three. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, the There was some of the biggest movement that we saw. The Iron Bowl, a lot to learn about this Brian Harson-Auburn team uh, before the end of the year when they do end up meeting, but opened at 18 and a half, dropped a field goal down to 15 and a half, I think that's probably Alabama doubt more than Auburn confidence. That's my that's my suspicion is that uh, a closer look on Alabama is at least worth being like, I don't know, they've got a lot of questions to answer, especially offensively, to just think that they're going to be ready to blow the doors off of an Auburn team that uh, talent-wise should be able to hang uh, within three touchdowns pretty easily. The only two th- thoughts I had on this were – I, I get it because I, I know the South Point Sportsbook in Vegas opened it uh, at 13 and a half. So FanDuel at 18 and a half is obviously pretty high. And, and there were a lot of these that had you know, different books, had four or five point differences. On the Iowa State one, it is important to keep in mind that five is a dead number in college football for, for all you know intensive purposes here. So like four and a half to five, five to five and a half, you really should probably not buy points in most circumstances anyway, especially not at the prices that are charged but you'd never want to buy on or off a five in, in college football because it's just not a relevant number. Teams don't win games or even attempt to win games by five, usually. So I don't think there's that big of a deal in, in Iowa State jumping. I think the bigger read there is that it didn't go the other way, like like Tom mentioned. I understand the move on Auburn because Auburn still has, has good players, and that's a lot. But Bama is a 15-point favorite at Florida. And they're a 15 and a half point favorite at Auburn. I, I think Florida, I would have them like four points better than, than Auburn on a neutral site. And so this is an interesting thing to me with you know, both of these games. The being Florida the Auburn. For the tide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other problem is I would not bet Auburn in that game this early, even with that point value for this reason. Here is their schedule starting in mid-September. Penn State, Georgia State, LSU, Georgia, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Texas A&M. They're probably beat the hell up. <laughs> are they going to have a winning record in the first week in November? Probably not. Like 500 at best, I, I think. So, given that these books keep up these lines for a long time, you might be able to catch a 21 if you just put a little bookmark on your calendar and say, hey, uh, I'm going to get a five and five Auburn team against a probably undefeated Alabama here in three weeks. So, I would, I would wait on that. I wouldn't take the 15 at this point. Yeah, another reason I would probably stay away from the Auburn side of this right now, too, is like I know that the Iron Bowl in recent years has tended to be, you know, a closer game. Auburn's pulled off upsets, but we know how much, how important it was to Gus Malzahn to win that game. Obviously, as the head coach of Auburn, it's not like Brian Harson's not going to realize, oh, well, yeah, I should probably win this game. It's pretty important. I guess the fans care. It's just you got the feeling that Gus saved something for that game every single time. And I don't know why I, I need to see Brian Harson coaching in that game before I try to want to really figure out how's he going to approach, you know, the iron bowl. Danny, what stands out to you? Uh, what game stand out to you? So I got really excited when I saw all these, uh, I thought overall, like when you look at the lines for the Gators, it does seem like Vegas is down on the Gators prospects. Fair to say that? Like yeah. Question mm-hmm. marks, Emory Jones. Like, I, I thought overarching, like, I was like, oh, okay, the 14-point dog. But I think they're only a three. What is the LSU line for Florida LSU? I thought was. I'm seeing, like, Florida pick them 
LSU right. minus one. Right. So I was like, okay, and that's a team coming off 500 and a team coming off, you know, a great year. So I was interested by that. The game that I thought, and, and you know, there's certain weekends of the season that get exciting. That second week of the season with some of these conference, you know, bragging rights, what means what for the Pac-12, the Oregon-Ohio State game, did that move at all? Because I was, Yes, I, I bet that. It, 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 op- it opened at nine. I, I, I took it on, on FanDuel. Um, and you laid the nine? I laid the nine gladly. You did. Okay. So yes. I was a little bit surprised by that post Tyler Shuck era, uh, new quarterback for Ohio state. You're probably on the right side. Cause I was like, Ooh, man, that's a big number. Anytime I think that it's like, oh, just go ahead and lay it sneak preview. I've already recorded the around the clock series for, for, for 24 seven on cover three. Uh, I think Oregon's secondary depth is a major question for them. And week two going to the horseshoe, uh, Ohio state has more than a couple of receivers yeah. to, have to cover. So that's <laughs> yes. yeah. Good point. <laughs> So for the other game that kind of jumped out to me too was, you know, Jim Harbaugh, we talk a lot about him, you know, it's polarizing. They're underdogs at home against Washington, two and a half point underdogs. If that game goes the way that Vegas thinks it, like, what does that mean? Like, what, what kind of conversations are we going to be having? Because I guarantee you Michigan fans think they're supposed to win that game. I probably feel like this is a good number where it's set at. But for me, like the implications of what it means for both these programs, and if Oregon does lose to Ohio State, which we all think will happen, the Pac-12 will desperately need this win to kind of carry the conference somewhat. So there's a lot of implications uh, just in that week, too. So I was curious to see some of those numbers. The other thing is Stanford, a 13.5-point underdog to USC on the road. Like, are we, like, I like USC, but are they that good? And I know – Stanford has some question marks too. I just thought that was a big number. That opened 14 and a half. It did. Um, and that was, yeah, I, I didn't get down that one, um, but that was a little surprising to me. I wasn't sure if there was something I was missing about Stanford, but other people did bet Stanford. Anybody want a middle? <laughs> what uh, middle? Is it the Washington one? Yeah, like Michigan on FanDuel is a two and a half point dog. Michigan on DraftKings is a one and a half point favorite. And at South Point, Michigan's a two and a half point favorite. So you, you can get a five point middle there, yeah. although you can't have a zero in college football unlike the NFL. The um, I can try, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but Danny, you point out something that's really cool. I mean, it's it is the Pac twelve North, Oregon, Washington against Ohio State and Michigan. And like however that ends up if that comes up O two for a Pac twelve, I mean night night. You know, yeah. If it's say, let Stanford beat USC, let Michigan beat Washington, and let Ohio oh. State not just win, but like blow the doors off of Oregon. And like, bud, you've got it nailed. Uh, if any team is concerned about their talent and depth in the secondary, you're cooked against Ohio State. You just have no chance because they've got six pros that are ready to come torch you on the outside. I, I could I could see that uh, that going very very poorly. Another good uh, another good Power Five Power Five game there is Texas and Arkansas, and I'm looking at Texas as a three and a half point. I'm bouncing around between tabs. Yeah, three and a half point favorite. Uh, just a like a tick down. I think that's showing confidence in an Arkansas team that uh, you know exceeded expectations in year one with Sam Pittman. I mean, just a general program respect, right? Yeah. So this is interesting. Sorry, go ahead, Tom. <laughs> no, 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 go. Well, I, this one is very interesting to me in the context of another line that I found, which is Louisiana Lafayette plus nine 
at Texas. Give it. Let me. I will take nine points. Would you well, lay? Would you lay nine points against Louisiana? No, yeah. I, I think I would rather have nine in, in in the early early season game against Texas with a new coach and, and new schemes. The greater thing is like okay, so Texas is three and a half, four and a half. That game is in Arkansas. It's not like a Jerry World thing. Yeah, it's in Arkansas. You know, so you figure like two points for home field advantage now in college, just based on the last couple of years. It's it's not definitely not three or three and a half anymore, at least in, in most spots. You know, on a neutral, Texas is is five, right? Five and a half. You put that game in Texas, they're seven and a half, eight. Do we think Arkansas is a better team than Louisiana Lafayette? Because I would I would take ULL straight up over Arkansas. I did what well, we did just do in our expert picks last week, Chick, or our staff our staff picks. I did pick Arkansas to beat Texas as my upset. Ooh. So I might I I don't know if I I, I think I I'd, I'd much rather have Louisiana plus nine than Arkansas plus four and a half though. Arkansas feels a little bit Louisville to me this year. Ooh, we're like, like we, like we saw them. Is that our year. fault too? Did we do that? <laughs> like amazing first year. How much of that bump was coming off a, a staff that was pretty clearly a disaster with, with, with the Chad Morris staff? Do they really have another big step they can take this year? Sometimes to, to borrow a phrase from my friend Bill Connolly, you have a consolidation of gains here, right? Like you make a bunch of gains. Show me you could maintain those gains for a year. I'm not convinced that Arkansas is going to have another step forward this year. Maybe they will. Certainly possible, but I, I'm not totally convinced of it. From a standings perspective, there's nowhere to go. Right. Like, I mean, if, if you want to say, what's your next step? Like, they, they can probably make steps as a program without making steps in the standings and jumping ahead of teams because, you know, FPI darling Mississippi State up here in the top 10. What are you going to do? Go beat them? Like, Ole Miss uh, with, with Matt Corral back and another year with Lane Kiffin offensively. Like, you're very, very quick. You think of bounce back year for LSU. You know, obviously, Auburn, there's some, you know, high expectations, even if the schedule's strong. Like, you just, you're running out of options uh, to be able to move them forward. I would take Louisiana over Arkansas on a neutral, but I am way, I'm going way too hard on the idea that they just are bringing every single person back that they've got like, you know, nine super seniors and they've just got this, what is it? 96% number one in the country for returning production. I mean, that's bananas to think of all those tackles and all those yards that they have back. I would, I think that I'm just going to end up leaning on that even maybe to my detriment, but, um, I just, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, I think Louisiana is going to beat Texas. And I think I would pick Louisiana uh, on a neutral against Arkansas. I mean, doesn't that seem to, I mean, losing your non-conference game is what Texas does. You know, it was Maryland two years in a row, and now we're just going to sub in Louisiana. It's going to be the same See, wild frustrations. The, one of the reasons I picked Arkansas as my upset was as like, you know, Texas has to open the season with Louisiana. It's, it's, got a, it's got a game it has to focus on. Arkansas has got rice. So Arkansas can kind of just, you know, prep for Texas for an extra week. Meanwhile, Texas will be coming into week two, probably fresh off a tough win against Louisiana. Maybe Arkansas catches it off guard. So the one of the truly one of the games of the year is Georgia and Clemson and Charlotte. And the way that it is opened is with the Tigers as a three to three and a half point favorite. And um, does that feel correct to you? DJ Uyunglele, but JT Daniels, you know, you, I, I don't know how, uh, how I would uh, handicap that from a quarterback position. I think I would give uh, DJ the edge 
just because he's also a linebacker running downhill and has shown the ability to uh, flex that part of a game of his game, just in terms of you know, tight game coming up with plays, but three and a half feel right. Is George Pickens playing? No, I'm assuming that he's out until December. As I got, again, I like Georgia. I think they're going to win the East, but when you talk about these two quarterbacks, I think you do have to consider the uh, opposition. I mean, G- DJ went to South Bend against the playoff team in Notre Dame. JT Daniels' four games were against Mississippi State, South Carolina, Missouri, and then Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a good defense, mm-hmm. and he had a good game against them. He you know, kept them in it and brought them back. But I still think what DJ did against Notre Dame was more impressive. I, that's going to be a fact. I think the line is probably set about right where it should be. Like, it, it's just tempting enough. Like, and I hope it lives up to the expectations where it is a field goal game, and I think it should be. But as far as the quarterbacks go, it's slight edge to me for DJ. Yeah, I, re- I really don't know which way I want to lean on this one. Under. Blind under. That means it's a good line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, like, yeah. Like, I, at three, I really have no interest. At three and a half, I have a little bit of Georgia interest, but it's not something I want to fire on this far out. Like, if you're betting this far out, you want to fire on the ones you're like, okay. What's the chance this goes way up? What's the chance this goes way down? Like hypothetically here, what's the chance this gets to to the key number north of three and a half, which would be, you know, six or seven? Pretty little, I think. The chance this gets down to like Clemson two and a half, I could see that happening. I I could see that crossing to three. So if I had to take something, I would take Georgia three and a half. Dabo. lock in some value. Go ahead. You said if you're going to bet now, I just want to make the announcement that I did bet Michigan plus two and a half against Washington at home. Yeah, that's something I feel very strongly about right now. <laughs> also, will Michigan home over still hit when running into the ultimate defensive coordinator head coach, Jimmy Lake, who has decided that we can play with just a nice, easy what is, pace? There's a game. What's when they finally start putting those up? What will the total for Michigan, Washington be in week two? Forty seven. They'll take it. Yeah, they'll take it north of forty-five, but they, it won't sniff fifty. Over, I'm going over, baby. I do think that right. Kirby and Dabo are going to be at midfield, and they're going to be like, "All right, let's just play a good old game, 24-21. Whoever can get it done at the end, like that's the big game. Dabo gets broken when the secondary is getting torched by wide receivers, and Georgia doesn't have the wide receivers. It is going to be it's going to be the two best defenses in the country. It's going to be a game that's decided at the line of scrimmage, and Dabo will be more than happy to just put the ball in Uyunglele's hands in the fourth quarter and just like, all right, bud, let's go go make it happen. Here we go. I got I got a question for Bud and Danny here. Notre Dame open is a nine point favorite. It's been bet down to seven and a half for the against the Knowles. Bud, did you jump on the nine? Did you move it down? <laughs> no, I, I, I thought. I, <laughs> Is that you? I, no, we, we, we actually on, on, on Nolcast the other day, we, we were doing projected spreads for their games. And, and I said, I, I think for this one, it should be not double digits, but over a touchdown. So get, give me something that seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, nine, nine and a half range. You know, that, that sort of zone feels right. If you give me Notre Dame under a touchdown, I'm taking the Irish all day. If you give me Florida State and I'm getting like 11 plus, I'm, I'm going to take the Knowles. Other than that, it feels kind of in that correct sweet spot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've. Did you take it, Danny? No, I didn't take it. I, I, I just again, this is one of those ones where I think you're great on the value. You got to see a lot more to play out, kind of over camp, and see kind of what's happening. There's still tremendous question marks around both teams, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. But, but I, ju- I just kind of want to. I don't, I don't have a good beat on either one. I don't 
do do we feel any different about Notre Dame's starting quarterback? Do we feel like we we know that it's going to be definitively Cone or Buckner? No. I, I think it'll be Cone, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's Buckner. <laughs> so that's where I stand. I think it'll be Cone, but it might be Buckner. What do you think? Agree? I have no feel. I don't know. In my head, I think Cone, but like I don't now. Now I'm kind of examining why I'm assuming that. Like I don't know that I've read anything that says it's definitely going to be Cone. I yeah, just, I sort correct. of think like okay, if they're taking him in, you know. I mean, I intuitively you think if you're going to take in a graduate transfer quarterback and he's going to come in from Wisconsin, be immediately eligible, and you've got this awesome uh, freshman who early enrolled that. Jack Cohn is the bridge and he starts at, and he, look, he might not be the starter at the end of the season, but he's the starter at the beginning of the season. See, that's the, the fact that it's Florida state on the road to start the season is why I lean towards. It's probably going to be Cone because at least there's, you know, the experience factor. You don't want to throw Buckner in in his first start. Maybe you don't know if he's ready for that kind of atmosphere, especially because what that's going to be the first Florida state game in two years with their fans in the stands. So the atmosphere is probably going to be pretty raucous. I don't know if that's where you're going to want to have him making his debut. So I lean towards Cone, but from I've heard a lot of good things about Buckner, and if he's playing well enough all summer and into fall camp, it's not out of the line that he could win that job. Low blow to say first uh, game in three or four years with fans in the stands. Tallahassee. Damn. Damn. <laughs> that's just messed oh, up. Man. That's just cold. Uh, LSU and UCLA week one. It's uh, LSU right around, what, three, two and a half, three, maybe even up to three and a half, uh, favored on the road against the Bruins. I look at that line, and that says great things about the Bruins to me, just because of the way that LSU is going to be power rated with all the talent that's on that roster, the expectations of a bounce back. Okay, so you're just taking LSU. That's overrating the Bruins. I'm getting an SEC West team against a Pac-12 team at only three and a half. And it's really nothing more than that. It's like, give me LSU. I don't think, I think there's probably going to be some early season overreaction to LSU's 2020 season. I don't think LSU's as bad as it looked last year at times. I, I don't, you know, give me LSU, especially because the juice is at plus 100 right now. This opened two, see- two and a half in some places. Yeah. Didn't we see an SEC West team against a Pac-12 South team that was UCLA that got up big early, and then we saw one of the greatest comebacks of all time? Didn't we? Didn't we see this story already? Wait, Josh Rosen? Yeah, Texas A&M. Oh, remember that game was man. over. It was like over. I, mean, I remember watching. It was one of like forty-one to seven. I mean, it was crazy how bad they were getting beat down. And Rosen brought them all the way back. Did they end up winning though? I think Texas A&M might have still won. No, UCLA won. God, great, great call. Four years ago, uh, yeah. September third, twenty seventeen. UCLA forty-five, Texas A&M forty-four. UCLA scores four fourth quarter touchdowns uh 28-0 in the fourth to be able to win that game by one goodness gracious it's a 34 point comeback in total that's uh that's that's incredible i i had total that's some football games just like kind of get deleted from the mental memory that's a that's great recall you must be i kind of i kind of uh i kind of like ucla you guys know i'm bullish on ucla this season they're i I think the pac-12 I think it's going to have a, a resurgent year. I think it's going to start. They got a lot of players coming back, a lot of experience back. 
I think you look at UCLA's schedule last year, how competitive they were, how close they were to almost like kind of flipping a, uh, a win-loss record dramatically in a couple of those one-loss games. So I'm a little more bullish on them. So that- Maybe foolishly. And also, like, the LSU stuff, like, I know they won the last two games, but it was a dumpster fire. And he's cleared house. He's going with an entirely new staff, trying to recreate the Joe Brady magic, like, I don't know. I'm not sold on LSU yet. But are but. you sold on Washington? Like an Oregon? So this, if you're going to go all in on the Pac-12, let me let me hear you think that they're going to be oh, like I, above 500 in all these like <laughs> non-conference games, that they are going to like see what deliver the blows they need. What happens though, is I think the Pac-12 is going to be kind of where I was when I was always singing their praises. They're going to have some really good football teams but they might not have that great team. So they're going to be right where they are again, a bunch of like nine, eight, nine, 10 win teams and zero undefeated teams. And that's going to leave them at home on the couch, watching the playoffs again. A quick, quick research here. Going back a little, I was able to go back to 2015. There have been, hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There have been nine games between the PAC 12 and the SEC, either in the regular season or the bowl season. The Pac-12 is two and seven against the spread in those nine games, and both covers were Cal against Ole Miss. <laughs> They're zero for seven in the other games. I, I actually Pac-12 didn't want to be there. If I take this game, I'm going to wait a little bit and let, let the LSU hype continue because it's already going north of three, and then I'm going to want to bet UCLA on one of those alternate spreads where you get like five or six to one on UCLA winning by like more than a field goal. Because I feel like I'm I, I'm not really in on LSU being just middle of the road this year. Either they bounce back or just the total dysfunction continues. And I'm not really sure which way I'm leaning uh, yet. But I don't like I. If UCLA wins, I, I I think they might not blow them out, blow them out, but win by more than a field goal. And I, I want to capture that value. You know, taking a four or five point dog, winning by more than a field goal. But I got you- a feeling. When we do our our picks, we're gonna have to have a whole spreadsheet just for Bud's <laughs> picks alone. Like just I've, his. <laughs> I've got some. I got some that I already that I already bet uh, <laughs> like, on these. I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm sitting here. I. Th- I hope the listeners are enjoying this as much as I am because in this episode alone, I've, I've heard about dead number, uh, something I didn't need to ask you to define, but I hadn't thought about it before, and I was like, oh yeah, five is a dead number. That's that's some key. Uh, that's that's a little bit of key knowledge, good. Uh, you know, verbal language of of the industry, and then also jumping on an alternate line for five to one payout on winning more than five more than three. Boy, I like it. I'm I'm, I'm excited about uh, what we have coming up this fall. All right. Any uh, speaking of uh, any last lines you want to draw the attention to before uh, before we get out of here? Uh, I mean, I was going to bring up the LSU Alabama line, but that's we've talked enough about LSU because that's what twenty three and a about, half right now. But all of Alabama's lines, like. I think Alabama, they expect him to be good, Danny. Right. No, no, <laughs> I, I against him once. It's, kind of, it's like, well, but I thought the SEC was supposed to be like this gauntlet. Like it, they, like we told, we ripped the ACC because Clemson was going to be double digit favorite in every game. Alabama's going to be double digit favorite in every game. Yeah. Like it, they're going to waltz through the season. I don't think the SEC is a gauntlet and I don't treat it as such anymore. I think the SEC is changing. I mean, just the, the way that they play football is changing. And so it's a little bit of a, it's a different challenge i think the talent level still being high is what makes it intriguing but i don't think it is the physical draining grinding gauntlet uh that it had been i guess what during the end of late bcs era or i think that it's a it's an entirely different sort of brand of football 
Here's a question for the three of you. Uh, they've got Alabama, Texas A&M on DraftKings. The game is in College Station. What do you guys think the spread is? I know it. I mean, I'm looking at it, too. Oh, okay. Danny, bud. Which one was it? Alabama at Texas A&M. In front of the 12th man. Bama 12. Four, 14 and a half? Lower. 11 and a half Alabama. So yeah, that'd be like, that'd be a huge win for Jimbo if he keeps it that close. When you look at like who the like Danny, to Danny's point, when you look at who are the supposed to be the teams that are you know the competition, the SEC West, eleven and a half point favorites over A and M, two touchdown favorites over Auburn, two touchdown or three touchdown favorites over LSU. So what would the Georgia, what would the neutral site in Atlanta SEC championship game be? A touchdown. Yeah, um, pro- I mean. If Alabama is favored by 14 over Florida. And Florida is a six-point dog. Or an eight-point dog against Georgia. So I'd say about six to seven points probably. Yeah, that seems about right. So you probably lay them with Alabama. (laughs) The second-best team in the conference is considered a touchdown worse. Yeah. Well, you got got to back out the uh, – no, you're, you're exactly right, Tom. Yeah, I, I think that's... Because you're yeah. neutral field in Jacksonville and right. then neutral again uh, in Atlanta. Yeah, no, it's, I, I think that the, it's an Alabama thing where you, you, just, you understand these SEC teams are, are loaded with talent, but it's not like Alabama is proving anything to anyone just because they're playing on an entirely, entirely different level. I, I did bet Florida against Alabama at 15. In, in the swamp. I, I that's, feel that's like moves like a point, I think. I, I feel like it, that's one of the kind of things I was looking at when I was looking at these early lines. I think there's some early like spring value on Florida because I think that some of the I reaction, bet it against Georgia 10 and a half. That was yeah. insane. Yeah. I, that's I, down to eight. I think that there's a lot of overreaction to what Florida's lost and not enough paying attention to what Dan Mullen's been able to do. Mm, Florida. And after last week, I need to show Dan Mullen some love. So I'm definitely <laughs> excited. Like Florida's the only team that I've bet on uh, two of their games. So I also yeah. took, I, I did, I did fade by, I did fade BYU twice. I took Utah at minus six and a half at BYU. And I also took uh, Boise minus three and a half at BYU. Is the, I'm not sure people realize like, yeah, Zach Wilson's gone, but BYU lost, I think lot. more than any other team in the country as far as returning experience. And Is, their schedule last year was completely different than this year. Yeah. The, um, when you take Boise, do you feel confident about Boise? Yeah, I think Boise has a very nice roster. They didn't lose all that much. I think Bachmeyer, you know, should be healthy at quarterback. I'm not going to assume somebody is not healthy. I know he's been banged yeah. up quite a bit. I think he's competent, and I, I I like Boise to go in there and get that win. Yeah, I also think there's a lot of baked in so far in Boise as far as the uh, process and the program. Yeah, I mean, and you're just you're just going to high floor, very 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 mm-hmm. very very high floor kind of program. Chip, I got one for you. All right, did uh, did you see what uh, what I don't think DraftKings or FanDuel had it, but South Point and Vegas did. Uh, what they opened UNC at NC State? No. 11. I would hmm. take the Wolfpack. It got bet down to seven and a half pretty yeah. quickly. That's uh, I saw oh. North Carolina. I saw North Carolina. I would was love to have that one. <laughs> three against Miami. I think that probably feels about right. And then uh, what was the. Only no- four and a half point favorite at Pitt. Ooh, Pitt. Let's, Where's that fall in the schedule? They go pit it up, baby. Is there like a trap element to that? Uh, North oh, Carolina no. at every game against Pitt is, is a, a trap, trap game. Well, that's fair. <laughs> uh, North Carolina and Notre Dame. I'm seeing pick them, and that game is in South Bend. 
Probably fair. <laughs> UNC beat them up pretty, or Notre Dame physically beat them up the line of scrimmage last year. But we I do think, think that North Carolina is going to be better at the line of scrimmage I on do. the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but that's brutal. They go, they've got, uh, they get a week off. Okay. They get a week off after playing Florida state and Miami back to back, both at home week off. Then they go to Notre Dame and that'll be a primetime South bend game. The pit game is on a short turnaround. They go wake at home and then pit is a Thursday with, uh, with only five days to prepare. So that's, that, that would be the only schedule element to the, uh, to the North Carolina pit line. It's not trappy, but it's at least a uh, short time to prepare after playing Notre Dame and Wake Forest in back-to-back weeks. Do you guys want a, um, a story real quick? What yeah. happened yes. now? I don't want, I kind of want to reveal myself cause I want to act like I'm not paying attention to you guys as we're getting late in the pod. But I, uh, I tweeted something out while you were talking there uh, because I saw Rich Lerner sent a tweet about his interview with Phil Mickelson. This is my ADD. Like I have a bunch of different things going on at once. But I actually saw the interview when they were standing on the green with Phil Mickelson this morning. And uh, Rich Lerner said, uh, his tweet said, Phil Mickelson joined Brandel Chambly and Justin Leonard and me after his historic win. He was gracious, funny, and demonstrated why one day he'll be a phenomenal lead analyst. Suddenly that day seems a long ways off. So I saw that comment and I watched it. So I like, you know, like giving other people credit for doing the business. So I said, that was incredible TV. I said he was also talking about Phil, incredibly cocky, but still likable. Guess who chimed in? Phil. <laughs> Phil chimed in and said, it's a fine line with a cry face emoji. So literally 27 seconds ago. He's Phil been, is in his bag the last 12 hours. <laughs> exactly. Did you see his mom's text? Oh my God. No, I heard that was sent it to his sister, right? What was it? Yeah. So Phil's mom, uh, when he got to, I think it was 15 or 16, he, t- he texted his sister and she said, Hey, uh, d- can you tell Tim, can you please text Tim, who is Phil's brother and caddy, right? Like, can you, te- can you text Tim to tell Phil, no more bombs, don't activate the cast, just par out, you're up big, they have to catch you, <laughs> hurry. That's <is> awesome. <laughs> I love it. Oh, That's, That's a very mom text. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Phil has been all over Twitter, like during this tournament, and uh, Kyle Porter, uh, ex the best golf rider, was uh, was did a screenshot on Twitter of did y'all see Ricky Fowler's look? You know he had he had the same like evil timeline uh, little goatee going on, yes. and uh, Kyle shared the photo and he said, uh, you know, Ricky looks like he's an undercover agent looking to expose Phil's um, complex cryptocurrency scheme, and. <laughs> Phil responds on Twitter, it's not that complex, LOL cry emoji. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah, no, it's it was an awesome weekend, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. You know, fantastic, uh, fantastic just sports stuff happening over there at the PGA Championship uh, on CBS. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya. Yeah.